0: well hello and uh, good to have you back today good to be with you again as we continue our study in the book of psalms uh, i pray these studies are a blessing to you as much as they are to me to study them <clears throat> take your copy of god's word and turn to psalm 119 uh, verse 161 the 119th psalm obviously is very long and we are in the 161st Uh, verse today and and i want to spend just a few minutes with you in this video to talk about a peaceful place a peaceful place and talk about peace for just a minute because that's what david talks about here Uh, peace in this life is sometimes hard to come by Uh, this world is a difficult place Uh, we simply can look around and see that that it's easy for there to be no peace Uh, and really in three three areas uh we can see it predominantly one is in the world in the last 3400 years um, man has been at war nations have been at war with one another um, 92 percent of the time in other words out of 3400 years only 268 years have been at peace out of the last 3400 which takes us all the way back to uh you know basically a thousand uh 800 bc Um, so you're talking uh, a long time uh, and only 268 years out of all of that have been at peace so nations war against one another all the time and and we live in a day and and in a lifetime if you're if you're very old that war has been a part of our lives certainly world war one and world war two um korea and vietnam and and Iraq and there and the war is just seems to always be between nations and then and then not only between nations but in nations you look around the world and even in our own country there's national unrest there are people who are who uh, are not at peace with one another not at peace in their relationships and then and then uh cohabitating in a, in a nation or in a land and the united states has its issues as they're ongoing now but it's all around the world as well Uh, We see it, we see it in every nation in China and the Soviet Union, we see it in Europe, in the European countries, we see it in the Far Eastern countries, the Middle Eastern countries, certainly around Israel and and those nations there. So we find a national unrest between nations, we find, uh, we find the unrest among people in the nation. And the reason, the reason those, those areas of unrest and there's no peace is the third one is because Uh, because people have no peace individually. Um, The Bible says that uh, mankind in his lostness, that humanity in our lostness, that we are at enmity with God. That's a lack of peace. That means we're at strife with God. It means that our our sin uh, causes us to be in conflict with God because he's holy and he's righteous. And so here's the bottom line. When a man or woman is at enmity with God, They have no hope of being at peace with others or being at peace in a general sense. In fact, Paul said in Romans 8, verse 7 and 8, listen to this. He said, Because the carnal mind, the the carnality is the flesh, it's the human part of us. It's our fallen nature, if you will. He said, Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. It strife with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now here's, here's the issue, if, if we're not at peace with ourselves and we're not at peace with God, we have no hope of being at peace with others. And we have no hope of being at peace in life, of having peace and joy in life. And, and the lack of peace among humanity is exemplified uh, in, in what we see in life today. Let me just give you a few of those very quickly. Number one, uh, we know there's no peace in life because people are seeking for peace and sensuality and pleasures and sexual pleasures, uh, immorality is off the chain. I mean, if you take the time to look around at society, um, there are no boundaries anymore. There, there's every, there, uh, you know, adultery and fornication used to be the the two big things that people would be involved in, and and still are, but now we have we have every conceivable perversion of sexuality that that a man's sinful mind can come up with uh and so why do people do that why why do people go down that road well if you listen to the explanations it is you know it's who i am and it makes me happy and it makes me fulfilled it is those people apart from god those individuals seeking some kind of peace in their life some kind of purpose some kind of joy they're simply doing it through the avenue of immorality of sexual pleasures and those kinds of things and then another area that we see people searching for peace and searching for joy or fulfillment in life is in substance abuse alcohol abuse and drug abuse recreational drug abuse is on the is on the rise i mean we're legalizing drugs now we're legalizing marijuana Uh, and i'm not talking about medical purposes for drugs because uh You know, God gave us medicines and the ability to discover them to help us. But I'm talking about recreational use. When people get drunk or they use alcoholic beverages or they use recreational drugs, what they're trying to do is escape from reality for a while and feel better and have that peace. And so they seek it through those ways. And then we find people in our society today, particularly in the Western culture that's so affluent, we find we, we seek to find joy and fulfillment and peace in material things, meaning I'm, the more I have, the more happy I am. It's that equation, you know, if I have this thing or that thing or this new thing or that new thing or a bigger house or a better car or a boat or jet skis or, or whatever it may be. <clears throat> we, we tend to equate happiness and joy or peace with those things. Well, as you know, if you're, if you're a born-again child of God, there's no peace in those things. It's short-lived. It's temporary people who find peace and joy and sexual pleasures they only last a little while uh, the relationships only last a little while uh, i told a I told a fellow one time who who was telling me he was going to divorce his wife and i said well you know you're going to go you're going to go think you're going to find the next best thing with this new woman that you're going to marry and i said and after a period of time life is going to be exactly the same you can still have to pay your mortgage you still got to buy groceries you still have to take kids to school you still have to go to work every day. <clears throat> the same issues of life, you're just going to be doing it with another person. So all the things in life that we think bring joy and peace and happiness, they're they're temporary and they're alive. They're alive. Satan, <clears throat> the fact is the only place, listen, the only source of real peace in life is Jesus Christ. The only source of real fulfillment and joy in life is Jesus Christ. God created us. Uh, God provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and the only way to really have joy in this life the only the only way to have peace in the midst of a, of a world that is in chaos with sin the only way to have peace is to have Jesus in your heart to have a relationship with him and through the power of the Holy Spirit understanding God's Word and his promises and have that peace David talks about that in our passage this this morning so let's take just a few minutes to look at what he said look at verse 161 of Psalm 119, David said, Princes persecute me without a cause. He said, But my heart stands in awe of your word. Now David's saying in this case in his life that he had no peace because he was being persecuted by princes. Now um, that's that's a little different. Now the Bible tells us in, in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution so to live for jesus means people are people are going to attack us for that because the world's opposite from god and it doesn't like god this is a different case david's saying that that princes are persecuting him now what the difference in that is simply a person who's a prince is a person who's in political authority uh, in political power and those in political power who begin in their political position, turn against God and turn against Christianity and turn against those who love God, have a weapon at their disposal. They can use the law to persecute those who follow God because they're in a political position. They can use the law, listen, those in political position, those in office of authority in the government who turn against God and turn against those who follow God can justify their persecution of God and Christians by using the law to do it and, and look justified in doing it because they're saying that Christians are breaking the law. Um, in case you think that's far-fetched or that that's something that cannot happen, it's already happening in this land. It's already happening in the United States of America. Let me illustrate it for you. There is this, there is this ongoing push by progressive secular humanists who, who hate God and who who hate christianity and the message of the gospel and the message of christianity there's this ongoing movement among that that uh, godless atheistic section of of our political system to pass laws that specifically target what they call hate speech or or hate crimes now they write these purposely they write them in a nebulous form so they can be applied across a broad spectrum and, and, what, and what can happen and what will probably eventually happen once enough of those political leaders who have that persuasion to be against God get in office and write the laws that they want and get them passed, then they can do exactly what David's saying here. As princes, as, as political leaders, they then can wield the law <clears throat> to stop or try to stop or eliminate the preaching of the gospel or the truths of the Bible and they do it through these laws. For instance, if, if somehow they define hate speech as anyone who speaks against what they deem as appropriate uh, in society or life, and we take the Bible and we say, look, God said, God said, for instance, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And let's say we preach a message or we share a message or we speak to people in a public forum that says God does not recognize, you know, same-sex marriage or any of the things that society has begun to embrace, then if the law permits them, they can persecute us. They can arrest us for hate speech, for hate crimes. Uh, you know, they can arrest us for, for teaching what they call to be legal principles or philosophies. And you think that can never happen here. Well, it certainly can happen here. And it's already in progressively moving that way. David simply said here, Lord, <clears throat> I'm being persecuted by princes, meaning they're, they're using the law to come after me, and they're using their political power and position to persecute me. But he said, but I stand in awe. My heart is in awe of your word. And So what David said was, in the midst of all that, my peace is found in your word, not in this world, not in what they're doing. He said, I have perfect peace <clears throat> and perfect satisfaction in you, and therefore my peace is unshakable because it's founded on the unshakable God. If you, if you or I put our, our peace and our hope in anything in this world, we're gonna be disappointed because this world is imperfect and everything in this world will pass away. When we put our hope and our peace and our, and our faith and our heart uh, is, is in awe of God and his word, that peace can never be shaken. That, that assurance and that foundation is sure, it's a rock. It can never be shaken. And that's the whole analogy whole analogy that jesus used you build your house on sand and the storm comes and the sand washes away and the house falls the sand is anything in this world anything that's temporary the storms of life come if it fails we build our life on jesus christ and on his word it's a solid rock the storms of life come the princes persecute with the law of the land they can't shake our joy because it's not found in the things of this world it's found in jesus christ and we celebrate. Uh, our peace being in God, uh, no matter what the world does. Now, that, now that's no guarantee. That's no guarantee that, that we won't suffer for Christ at the hands of political uh, folks at some time in the future. But that's nothing in comparison to what God has in store for those who love Him and we find our joy in Him. Now, David went on to say here in verse 162, that he, uh, he, he rejoiced in God's word. Look at verse 162 of Psalm 119. He said, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. He said, I rejoice in your word as one who's found a great treasure. Um, one of the evidences of being a born again child of God is a love for God's word. In fact, let me give you uh, three things here that I believe are true of those who are saved concerning God's word. Number one, those, those who are genuinely saved we want to read God's Word I mean we want to read it we want to understand it uh, I, you know when I was saved at, at 11 years old um, I, I didn't know much about the Bible I had read maybe Genesis in the first part or in the beginning God created you know the heavens and the earth I had read that but I'd never really understood the Bible or tried to read it when I got saved at 11 years old I started reading the Bible now I understood as much as an 11 year old could understand at the time but as a teenager in high school i read the bible genesis to revelation i read it all the way through it took me about 3 years maybe somewhere between 3 and 4 years i read it between my freshman year and my senior year in high school i read it all the way through and and listen one of the evidences of being saved is that that speaks to your heart that when you read the bible it uh it speaks to you it it, it has a relate, a relating to who you are in Jesus Christ. The Bible takes on a whole new meaning when you're saved. You, a lost person can read it, and it's like reading somebody else's mail, you don't get it. But when you're saved and you read it, it's God speaking to you, it's the Holy Spirit saying, that's you, and, and it feeds the heart, it feeds the soul. So I have a hard time with a person saying, you know, I have a difficult time understanding a person who says, well, I'm saved, but they'll never read their Bible. As a born-again child of God, you ought to read your Bible every day. Every day. You ought to read it in a devotion, and a devotion time. You ought to read it because it, it, uh, it affects your walk. It affects your Christian life. It affects how you relate to God in your habit of life because it's His Word to us. Secondly, not only do those who are saved have a desire to read God's Word and should read it, but they have a desire to hear it preached and taught by those whom God has gifted to do that. As a Christian, as a born-again child of God, if you're saved, you should, you should make it a priority in your life. Listen very carefully here. You should make it a priority in your life to sit under the preaching of God's Word at every opportunity, every opportunity. It's not a, a religious uh, exercise to come to church. It is a purpose for it. And here at Oakley Baptist Church, let me illustrate it this way. There are three services every week three opportunities you have to be instructed in God's Word. I teach on Sunday morning. Brother Bill right now is in a series on Esther on Sunday nights. And I am in this study in the Book of Psalms uh, for our Wednesday night studies. Now because of COVID-19 and because of the unique circumstances that we're in right now with gathering and with what's going on with this pandemic, we do meet here on Sunday mornings uh, at 9 and ten thirty for those who want to attend those who want to come with a mask or you sent we have all the precautions in place we don't have an active gathering on sunday night we have wednesday night gathering for small group studies but here's the point you have an opportunity as a christian to avail yourself of of three times a week of clear expositional bible study with application with real life application and you should avail yourself of those things. When we go, when we return to meeting again uh, three times a week, and we will, we will begin our Sunday nights again, and we will do our Wednesday nights again. Again, it's not a, a traditional thing that we hold on to those, as so many churches today have done away with Sunday night services. The reason we do that, and the reason that as the pastor, I continue to push us to do that, is for the teaching of God's Word, not for any religious perfunctory cause, it is an opportunity for you as a born-again child of God to sit under the hearing and the teaching of God's Word. There's nothing more critical in your life that you need spiritually, nothing that I need more than that, than to sit under the hearing of God's Word. And You should, you should take the time to put in your earphones or your earbuds and listen to all the messages that get taught each week and, and put on video and put online. Because as as a child of God, that's where you're gonna find your peace and you're gonna find your joy. You can be in the midst of a storm in life and God's word will bring you peace. So Christians wanna read God's word, they wanna hear it. And then finally, meditating on God's word. Meditating means considering it, considering what you heard, considering the message, considering what God's word said to you as you were reading it uh, and, uh, and applying it to your life. And then David points out to us here that when we find our peace in God, and our relationship with Him and Jesus Christ. We're going to grow to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Now that's, that's important. That as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our sanctification, as we grow in our understanding of God's Word, particularly in His Word and our joy and our peace in God grow more firm. We're going to love what God loves and we're going to hate what God hates. Look at verse 163. David said, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. I hate and abhor lying. Now, why, why would David pick out lying of all the sins? Why would he say, I hate lying? Well, lying is really indicative of, of just about all sin. Think about it for a moment. When we, when we sin, as Christians, we really lie to ourselves. When we choose to sin, we lie to ourselves. What we're saying, basically, when we choose to sin is we're, we're saying to ourselves it's okay. And we justify to ourselves why it's okay and we justify to ourselves why it's okay to disobey god or to break his commands or to not do what god told us to do Uh, we justify it to ourselves well you know i don't pastor i don't attend all the services because i'm too busy that's that's a lie man you know some people aren't gonna like that but it's a lie you know why it's a lie because we always make time to do what we want to do it's not a it's not a time issue it's not a busy issue it's a priority issue. And so we lie to ourselves when we don't share the gospel with people say well i'm afraid or i don't have the opportunity that's a lie that's a lie to ourselves there's a whole world full of lost people out there just find one yeah just just determine in your heart you're going to share the gospel with people so we lie to ourselves when we sin uh lying lying when we live in hypocrisy if we live with secrets and we're lying we're lying to god we're lying to other people so lying david said man i hate i hate untruthfulness and David spent a period of lying in his life when he sinned with Bathsheba for a year. He did it, I, we most scholars think it was a year, and it probably was. David resisted uh repenting of that sin, and David resisted being accused of that sin until Nathan the prophet pointed his finger at him and said, David, you're the man, you did this. Then David confessed and admitted that he had had been untruthful with himself and God, and he had been living a life of hypocrisy. And so lying, David said, Man, I hate lying. Well, you know why David hated lying? Because God hates lying. In Proverbs chapter six, verse 16 to 19, there it lists seven things that God hates. Now think about that for a moment. God hates all sin, but in the Bible, it specifically lists seven things that God singled out that he hates through Solomon. Listen to this. These six things the Lord hates, These six things, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Abomination in the Bible means that thing which is utterly detestable to God. That thing which is not just a sin, it is is a sin that is highly repulsive to God. Okay, so anything that's called an abomination is, is detestable before God. And there are a lot of things called an abomination in the Bible. Now listen, listen to what the Bible says here. God hates a proud look. That—that That is, uh, pride was the result, it was the first sin. Satan had pride and wanted to be like God and God threw him out of heaven, so pride. God hates a proud look and a lying tongue. Number two on the list is what David said here. God hates lying. God hates uh, untruth because he is truth. God hates untruth and lying because his word is absolute truth. So God hates a proud look, a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood god hates murderers he hates not the murderer because he loves the sinner but he hates the act of murder that someone would take the life of another human being uh, illegally and without cause or for personal retribution god hates a heart that deceives or devises wicked plant plans he hates feet that run or swift to run to evil he hates a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brother god hates those things They are an abomination to him so david said god i hate what you hate god i don't like what you don't like in fact god i want to love what you love and i want to hate what you hate listen dear christian friend brother and sister in christ well we really need to be there we need we need to love what god loves and we need to hate what god hates not people we don't hate anybody but we hate sin and we hate error and we hate lying and we hate deceiving and Satan is deceiving the world and we hate that. It should grieve your heart as a child of God to see the sin and wickedness that goes on in the world. It grieves my heart. It bothers me. It bothers me to see young men and young women and teenagers and boys and girls. It, it hurts me to see them led down a wrong path. To see them led down a wrong road when they so desperately need Jesus Christ. It should bother you and David said it bothered him. Now. The last thing I want to talk about is David's worship. Look at verses 164 and 165. He said, seven times a day I praise you because, your, because of your righteous judgments. And then in 165 he says, great peace. There it is again, that word peace. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. A couple of observations and we'll finish. David said, I worship you seven times a day. He said, Seven times a day I praise you. Uh, Well, we've kind of gotten, we've kind of missed the mark on that, haven't we, in the 21st century church? Now, we think, uh, you know, particularly before the pandemic, we think we show up on Sunday morning and sing some praise choruses and have some good music and praise and worship, hold our hands up in there, man, we've praised God. You know, God. God's been blessed today because we showed up to praise and worship service. Mm, I would suggest uh, if if that's the totality of our worship of God through the week, we've terribly missed the mark. We've failed and we're not worshiping as we should. David said, God, I praise you seven times a day. Now, David, that doesn't mean a legalistic thing where David said, well, I'm gonna praise God seven times a day, so he marks it out seven times and he makes sure to do that seven times a day. What he's saying is I praise you a lot. He said, I praise you every day, God, and I praise you every day and I praise you often. That's what he's saying. Our praise of God, if we want our, our peace and our joy to be full in Jesus Christ, our praise of God ought to be that way. And you say, how can it be that way? Well, here's one. As a Christian, when I read God's Word and I listen to sermons, it causes me to praise God. When I hear a truth uh, in God's Word, it causes me to praise Him. It causes me to worship Him. When I look around at creation and I see creation and I, I watch and I see life with a biblical biblical worldview, it causes me to praise Him. When I when I stand on the top of the of the of the, of the Parkway, the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the Smoky Mountains, and I look out over, over just the vastness of God's creation, and I see the beauty of it, and I see the majesty of it. It causes me to praise God. I don't know what it causes other people to do, but it causes me to worship God in that moment. Uh, when sometimes, I mean, honestly.